Living a well-balanced lifestyle goes beyond ensuring your finances are in order. Welcome to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with Barbara Archer from Hightower. Barbara speaks with wellness industry leaders and related professionals to share more than financial planning advice. She addresses your questions about living a healthy lifestyle at any age. Learn how to gracefully maneuver life's challenges with support and resources to guide you along the way. Barbara and the team at Hightower help you make a plan, make an investment, and make a difference in your own wealth and well-being, and in your families, and within your community. Thank you for listening to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with Barbara Archer, sponsored by Hightower. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Keeping the Well and Wealthy with your host, Barbara Archer from Hightower. Barbara, how are you? I am terrific today, Eric, and how are you? I am doing fantastic. I'm really excited. You've got another fantastic guest on the show today. Who did you bring on? Well, today I brought Bill Potts on, and I will be telling you a little bit about him. All right. But first, I'm going to ask our audience, have you or someone you loved ever been diagnosed with cancer? Do you have questions on second opinions, how cancer is staged or graded? Do you want to know what the myriad of tests and treatments mean and what to expect during a particular test or treatment? Well, today, we have a cancer answer man with us, Bill Potts. So with that conversation, he's going to address this and many more my questions. Bill has had a successful work career with Foster Grant, Miris, Iron Man, Clearwater Marine Aquarium, a lecturer on marketing at Tulane University, where he earned his MBA and is a co-founder of a marketing agency called Remedy 365. As an entrepreneur, business leader, Ironman triathlete, and five-time cancer survivor, Bill C. Potts has waged a 20-year battle against this disease. His family is his priority and a big reason why he has fought so hard to beat cancer five times so far, with number six in progress and number seven just a few years away. Bill authored Up for the Fight, How to Advocate for Yourself as You Battle Cancer from a Five-Time Survivor a valuable patient and caregiver guide where he shares his personal cancer story and those of others outlining everything you need to know to take on this fight. So welcome, Bill. Thank you, Barbara, for having me on your show. Well, it's a delight to have you. And as your friend, I have to ask, how are you feeling today? I am feeling A+. Had a great run this morning. Uh, I've had a great lunch and excited to be on the show. Well, that's terrific. And I know you had your little buddy Pippa there with you a few moments ago. Oh, Pippa, she's been great. I've been uh, going through uh, the last couple of years uh, pretty isolated because of the COVID pandemic. And sweet little Pippa has been by my side the entire time. Oh, she is a sweetie. So, Bill, let's start from the, the beginning. When were you first diagnosed with cancer? 2002, I went into my primary care physician. He looked at me and said, there's something on your throat or below your, on your thyroid, which turned out to be thyroid cancer, which I promptly had my entire thyroid removed and then went through radiation ablation treatment. Hmm. Well, I know how young you were, so that had to be quite a surprise. And so since then, how many times have you been diagnosed and with what types of cancer? Yeah, so I thought I was done in 2002. Thyroid cancer is pretty beatable, but in 2008 was diagnosed with stage three lymphoma. 
and got that knocked out, but it came back again in 2014. And the lymphoma came back in 2019. And then in 2020, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And then a few months later, lymphoma again. So a total of six diagnoses, uh, five times so far beating it. My golly. I mean, that's exhausting for anyone to hear. So I'm going to ask you, what drove you to write your book? Yeah, I had a a tumor removed on September 17th, 2020 at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville. It was lymphoma, and I woke up in the recovery room having an emotional breakdown. And the nurse at the time reached over and grabbed my hand and said, what's wrong? Oh, oh, well, wait, wait, let's start with that. What's wrong? (laughs) Exactly. And I'm like, uh, well, this wasn't like little sniffling. This was full-fledged sobbing. And I said, I'm not sure I'm up for the fight. She goes, what do you mean? I was like, I know what's coming. been diagnosed with cancer enough times to know what's, uh, what's in my future here for the treatment. I'm not sure I'm ready for it. So she called the pastor in and we'd worked through it, kind of reconnected with my why, why I wanted to fight. You mentioned it earlier, you know, my, my wife, my kids, my work. And at the end of this hour conversation, I got my head around my reasons to fight again. And the pastor said to me, Bill, you ought to take your pain and turn it into purpose and you ought to write a book to help others. And so that's what prompted the book, which really is what to expect when you're expecting, but for cancer. Wow. And having read the book, I know it's a little early, but I got a chance to read it. Mm. It was phenomenal. And I did share with you, my husband, we are happy. We happen to be good friends with Bill and Kim Potts. And um, Steve was in tears. He had to put the book down. So, Bill, I'm going to ask you to share with everyone how and when did you and your wife, Kim, share the cancer news with your son and twin girls and to your friends? And how do you decide who to share this with? Yeah, it's really evolved over the years because my three kids only know their dad with cancer because they were little tykes when I was diagnosed in 2002. So largely... We kept it all positive and upbeat and didn't share too much with them until they got older and they get into high school, they get into college, and then these conversations become much more real. And so uh, the last couple cancers have been really full disclosure with them, answering any questions that they have, sharing it with them, anything they want to know. And uh, we also then really made sure we provided them support, uh, outside support, you know, for the family if they needed to get some uh, get some help to talk through it with others, which is super helpful. But to answer your question on who you decide who to tell, when you're diagnosed with the first time, you don't tell many people. And uh, so you come back from the doctor, they say you've got cancer, you have to hit the pause clause and wait. You have to wait for a couple of reasons. Number one, the diagnosis might not be right. And number two, you want to try to get your head and your heart around what's about to happen before you start having to deal with a lot of other people. So I highly recommend when you're diagnosed, don't post about it on social media. Get once you have the plan in place. Let's, and stop, you share. Wait, let's stop yeah. right there. Yeah. Let's repeat that. Good advice. Do not post on social media. Yeah, you know, because next thing you know, as a patient, you're starting to handle a lot of things that that aren't are outside of your control and you're handling the feelings of others. And at that point, you really be, need to be handling your own emotions on top of the fact that it has some other effects uh, on your life, which could be work, could be those types of things that now start getting in the way if everybody knows that you have cancer. I largely kept my cancer secret from my workplace uh, until I actually had to disclose it. Wow. Well, I want to talk about that in a few minutes, but you mentioned about it 
could be a wrong diagnosis. Can you share with us about second opinions and selecting a care team? Yeah, that happened to me. I, with my thyroid cancer, they diagnosed the, the thyroid cancer to be back a second time. And I'm like, there's no way. How can the thyroid cancer be back when I don't have a thyroid had anymore? no thyroid, right. <laughs> it, it didn't add up. So at that point, I learned my lesson, and it's important to get a second opinion. They were prescribing the same radiation treatment that I'd had the first time, which would I probably wouldn't be here having this mm-hmm. conversation with if I'd gone through it. Well, I, I wouldn't. And so I went to MD Anderson to get a second opinion, and I counsel everybody, no matter who your doctor is, who your team is, uh, to get a second opinion. And picking that care team becomes literally a matter of life and death. So you don't buy the first car that you see. You shouldn't be picking the first doctor that you see. You ought to get a second opinion. And the great doctors encourage you to get a second opinion. And if you have cancer, look for the cancer National Cancer Institutes. And there's 61 of those in the U.S. And look for those. And then look for those that specialize in your type of cancer. If you consider your body a Ferrari, you don't want to take it to a Chevrolet dealership. There you go. And, you know, it's interesting because I know you and your son, Nick, are car aficionados. So it's interesting Mm. to hear you make those analogies. Yeah, for sure. And we will add in the podcast notes some of the sites that you're going to mention. So when people, if they're not jotting them down while they're driving or hearing this, we will add those at the end. So I want to make sure they know we'll provide some resources. So let's talk a little bit about you not sharing your diagnosis with work. And particularly, I want to have a discussion a little bit too about knowing you were a triathlete. I thought you might share some of that story and how you were able to, with talking to your care team, hide some of your um, otherwise, which would be visible treatment results. Yeah. So in 2008, when I was diagnosed with the stage three lymphoma at MD Anderson, they prescribed to me a pretty brutal treatment regimen and I turned it down. And they're like, why are you turning this down? And I'm like, because I lose my hair. Remember by now I knew how to advocate for myself and do my homework and study. So I went into this meeting pretty prepared and they're like, what? And I'm like, no, uh, I'm in sales. I'm in marketing. I work for Ironman. I traveling all over the world and I don't want the conversation to be about me. If you're in sales, you want it to be about the customer's needs, not about what's going on with me. And and they're like, are you serious? And I'm like, yeah, you're MD Anderson. I'm like, okay. And so they took it as a challenge. So I almost missed my flight back to Tampa, but they took two hours and they came back and they said, hey, this is, nobody's really ever heard of this, but we're trying this new thing out. It's called immunotherapy. And if you're up for a clinical trial, we don't know if it's going to work, but if it does, you get to keep your hair. And if it doesn't work, well, then you'll lose your hair. And all we've lost is, you know, a few months of treatment time. I'm like, okay, I'll try it. And so with that, I was able to keep my hair. And with that, I was able to uh, zip up having to tell people at work that I had cancer. Of course, my boss would know, my boss's boss would know. But outside of that, I tried to hide it. And I would do that by leaving for Houston from Tampa on a Thursday night, get my treatment on Friday, recover on Saturday, fly back on Sunday, be back in the office on Monday. There was times I was actually going for my treatments in the process of travel for work. I mean, uh, there was times I was injecting myself with cancer drugs in, in the bathroom at airports. Oh, my goodness. I just can't believe that you would do something like that. But yeah. I guess you felt at the time. 
It's what you had to do. Yeah, I got better as I went. In hindsight, you know, I've learned to rest more and uh, not worry about that stuff as much. But I was early in my career there at Ironman and wanted to make a good impression and it all worked out. But one of the key things you have to do uh, going through treatment is rest when you're tired. And, and that kind of kiboshed the rest. I, I flew to Houston 23 times in 24 months. So oh, it wasn't, I didn't get much of, of a break. Well, you mentioned going into that new treatment where you could still have your hair, having all of your information with you and being prepared to have that discussion with your care team. Can you share with us what is helpful to have available when speaking with your care team or going even after that second opinion? What's the type of data you need to have with you and at your fingertips? Yeah, so first of all, you have to treat it like a job, which means you need to do your homework, you need to be organized, you need to know where your sources of information are that you're going to get to learn about your particular type of cancer. Googling it is not the answer. Uh, you know, for me, I've got uh, a blood cancer with lymphoma. So I go to the Leukemia Lymphoma Society website because everything that's on there has already been checked out for accuracy. So, you know, that's a good place to go. So I do that type of homework. I, ha I have everything on the cloud. So all my notes, all my questions are there. So when I have my phone with me at these appointments, I can literally open it up and go through it. In addition to that, I actually rehearse it, you know, with my wife who goes there with me to make sure that we've got the right questions and that we're asking all of them because invariably as the patient, once you're in there with the doctor, you're going to forget a question or two. So it's nice to have somebody with you to make sure all the questions are answered. Well, you do mention that importance of having a buddy in your book. Could you expound on that a little bit? You had Kim, so mm -hmm. she is truly a support system and has been for me at times too. So yeah. <laughs> why don't you share what that buddy, what their job really is? Yeah, the buddy you. doesn't always have to be the same person. There was times with three little kids that Kim couldn't be there for me. But you need a buddy with you a, a couple times. And you need a buddy with you at every doctor's appointment because you need another set of eyes and ears to be able to hear and ask questions with what the doctor's saying. You also have to have a buddy with you if it's allowed. During COVID, there were some challenges with that for some particular places. But you need to have a buddy with you when you're going through treatment if at all possible, because there's a lot of things that happen to the patient going through that. And so that buddy becomes an integral part of keeping an eye on you should, you know, something unexpected happen during treatment, which does happen. Granted, they've got you alarmed up and they've got staff looking at you, but not all the time. So it's good to have somebody with you and to help you get up to go to the bathroom, to get you something to eat if you feel like that, to turn out the lights, whatever, give you a blanket. It's great to have a buddy, but that buddy isn't meant to be your therapist. The buddy has their own issues to deal with, with you having cancer. So as the patient, you don't want to lay too much on the buddy because the buddy still has to handle their own emotions. So for the buddy, they should get some outside help to deal with it. And for the patient, don't have the buddy have to hear all your stuff. Oh, that's fair. Mm -hmm. good, good advice. And so Bill, since you've had experience with several types of cancer, there are some questions that I've had posed in the past when someone talks about their stage. 
of cancer or mm. different kinds of tests, you know, the difference between a CAT scan, a PET scan, what, you know, what are all these different tests? So can you share a little bit with us? I know you go into more detail, which is why anyone interested in this has to get the book, but just kind of maybe perk up people's ears when someone tells them they have a certain stage of cancer, they know how progressive it is. Yeah, yeah. So the, the first thing is, you, if somebody's diagnosed with cancer, you, you got to figure out what type of cancer. And then within that type of cancer, you have to figure out what type of cancer within the cancer. So in my particular case, there's 61 different types of lymphoma. Oh, to only do that, 61? Only 61, yes. Oh. And so to do that, it takes uh, a biopsy in my particular case, where they go and surgically remove it and they're te- checking the genetics and they're checking everything about it. And they come up with the particular type of cancer. And once you have that, uh, then they put you through a series of tests to stage you, which is basically, it's, it's basically one through four, some could say zero through four, but the higher the number, the more progressed the cancer is. Each cancer is different and what that stage means. But for my lymphoma, stage three is there's only four stages. So that means for me, it had spread above and below my waist for my particular type of lymphoma. But on top of that, there's usually a grade that goes with the stage. So that's where they will grade the tumor itself or your type of cancer. And each cancer is different on how they grade it. The medical care team can take you through that. But so uh, stage four, yeah, that's that means it's spread. Stage one, it's generally early in the process of the cancer. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. Can you... Talk a little bit about your techniques when you've had some of your tests. You mentioned going into tubes of some kind. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's hard. I've had an uncountable number of CAT scans, PET scans, MRIs. You pick it. I've been in a lot of tubes. And uh, the way I deal with it is I, a couple ways. Number one, when I, it's hard to walk in the door for those tests. But once I walk in, I consider it my job to do the test well. And Well, and wait, it's a job. So share with yeah. everyone how you dress for that job. Oh, yeah. So when I go to get uh, for my healthcare team, I dress basically business professional because I'm trying to give respect to the medical care team that I'm with. For some of these scans, they'll put you into scrubs and things like that. So that's kind of a moot point. But generally, I try to I look presentable when I go into these uh, scans. But you have to use kind of mind games to get through them. I do a lot of visualization. I will pray. I'll do deep breaths before I go in there. And I'll really try to uh, calm myself down because yeah, I think my longest scan was close to an hour. It's a long time to be laying still. So you really got to kind of think of yourself as being somewhere else so that you don't aren't reminded that uh, you're in a tube. Oh, my gosh. So, Bill, I want to ask you a personal question because I don't know if I've ever messed this up in the past. So I'm going to ask you straight out. How should friends and families respond to learning the news of someone um, having cancer? What should they say? Or maybe more importantly, what should they not say? Yeah, yeah, it's the not say piece. I could talk for a whole hour on that. But number one, don't come to my front door and start crying, which I've had uncountable times. Don't tell me that I'm going to beat it. Don't tell me that I'm going to be fine. Don't tell me that I'm going to beat it because of my attitude, because that's not true. Don't tell me about your cancer, your friend's cancer, your aunt and uncle's cancer. Don't don't want to hear it. And for sure, don't tell me about this juice, this place in Mexico 
this animal pill that you can take. Don't want to hear it. That's for the care team. So that's what's not to do. <laughs> Thank but, you. But, but I think I'm safe to... there. I don't think I've done any of those things. So. Oh, by the way, the worst question, which I've had, what are your odds? Oh, God. Think about that one. I just was so furious. I didn't even know what to say. I'm like, my odds are 100%. <laughs> I'd like yeah. one way or the other, it's a hundred percent. But what to do is to be thoughtful, to listen, to not talk about the cancer unless they bring it up, but really to ask them what you can do for them, listen, and then do it. And if they don't know how to answer the question, what can I do for you? Then give them some suggestions. Example. Somebody said, what can I do for you? And I'm like, I don't know. And he goes, can I take you fishing? I'm like, love to go fishing. You know, two days later, I was fishing and it was a great break. It also ties in with the food piece. Don't, this is debatable at our house, but don't bring me your favorite dish because I'm a cancer patient, especially if I'm going through treatment, who knows how food's going to react in my body, but do uh, ask them what their favorite restaurant is and bring them food from that place. And that's a home run. And by the way, mine's Chick-fil-A. There you go. Okay. One bag or two? Uh, two. Two. Okay. Mm. Just want to make sure. Fruit instead uh, of fries, though. I got to eat healthy. Oh, oh, okay. I'll yeah. remember that one. I'm just so engrossed in listening to all of the extra new advice I'm hearing. What's the best advice you can give a newly diagnosed cancer patient? Now, that's, of course, after telling them to buy your book up for the fight. So what's yeah, the Yeah, yeah, thank you. Advice? I mean, yeah. Yeah, look, I've test-driven this uh, book already with some cancer patients. And when I started the book, I, I told my family, because it's hard to write a book about yourself. It's hard to write it while going through chemo. It's kind of triggering, right? So mm -hmm. I said, but if it impacts one person in a positive way, it's been worth it. And so I've test-driven it. And, and a friend of mine, his friend was kind of given up and wasn't up for the fight, read the book and started chemo again. It's going through it right now. So I've got the one. So that's been worth okay. it. But what I also tell them is, is to take a deep breath, pause, uh, don't overreact, don't panic. I've done that. So don't do that because that doesn't help. You want to be as calm as you can be and, and decide right then that you're going to own your journey, not the doctors, not your medical care team. You're going to own it every step of the way. It's your life. You have to own it because it really is. In many cases, it's life and death. And the medical care teams are okay with that. They're okay with a knowledgeable patient. They're okay with the questions. So own it and own it every step of the way. Great. And the question I was going to ask you did come back to me. You mentioned about someone bringing food and you didn't know what kind of a reaction you might have. Mm -hmm. Didn't you once have a treatment where you went into anaphylactic shock or something? You had to let the care team know that something wasn't right? Yeah, that was pretty bad. Yeah, my, my first treatment, uh, 2008 for the lymphoma, uh, I was alarmed up. First treatments are by far the toughest because if this is going to happen, this is when it will happen. And it's so interesting. My wife left the room in the hospital after an hour to go call everybody and, and tell them that the the treatment was going great. But at the moment she left the room, it's a computerized infusion machine. It goes up and I start having a reaction to 
the treatment, a severe reaction like near death. And so you can't see, your eyes swell shut, you can't breathe, your heart's going through the roof, you you break out with hives, all these things happen to you. And because it was the first treatment and I was alarmed up and the staff was keeping an eye on me, they were pretty quick. This took this took less than a minute to to get the injection to calm that stuff down. But the interesting part about that is I hadn't done my homework on the treatment, really. I knew I wouldn't lose my hair. I didn't even expect that to happen. The doctors can't really tell you what's going to happen because each patient is different. In my particular case, you know, I did not know I was allergic to hamsters. And one of the bases of this drug was made out of hamster embryos. So <laughs> it was like being allergic to bees and getting stung by a thousand at the same time, oh but not knowing you're allergic to bees. So uh, yeah, it was an eye opener. Who knew? That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You mentioned in there too, and this wasn't planned when you mentioned about chemo brain, because I just obviously had a little brain fog when I couldn't remember that question for you. Mm. But why don't you share one of the changes that you have in, I, I know you practice and prepped with some numbers, et cetera, before meetings and share the normalcy and how common that is to have some of that chemo brain or brain fog or yeah, it all depends on the drugs that you're getting. And it's not just the it's not just the chemotherapy and immunotherapy drugs. It's the pre-med drugs that prevent you from having a reaction or the drugs that prevent you from uh, uh, fr from having side effects. But chemo brain is actually very common. And it's common for a couple of reasons. It's all the drugs. And you don't know which drug is doing what. So you don't know if it's the chemo or the other medications that you're getting. But it's also the stress and the anxiety that goes through with going through this. It also comes from fatigue. And so I, I would say 100% I've had it every time through, through my treatments. And it varies, but I would say it probably makes me 10 to 15% less sharp which means the people around you have to give you a little bit of grace because you start forgetting things like crazy. And also from a work perspective, you've really got to work harder to hide it, which means like, like the example you gave, I would practice the math before I go into the meeting. So it didn't look like I was struggling with the math. I'd already gone through it. So for those people that don't know Bill, he is very sharp. So yes, I, it would be very recognizable if you had some delays. I would tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and Bill, what do you believe are some of the best decisions you have made that kept you battling for 20 years? Yeah, I, a, a couple. Uh, number one is owning my own journey, uh, picking the right care teams, mm -hmm. leaning in on my faith for all those decisions. The fact that at MD Anderson, my doctor has turned out to be one of the most famous doctors for my particular type of, type of lymphoma in the world has been great. The, the healthy, active lifestyle has been super helpful for me. And this becoming an Ironman athlete obviously taught me a lot about you know, do a lot of small steps to achieve a big goal, but I've always been pretty active, but now I'm active for a different reason. I'm active because I have to be ready for when it comes back. So when number seven comes back in a few years, I've got to be in the best shape. I hope it's a few years, I, the best shape I can be, because that's actually made a big difference in, in my healing according to my medical care team. They love the fact that I stay pretty active. I've also work in progress, but my diet is actually really good now. And it the is. diet piece, it's yeah, hard it's for really me to good. believe because I, I knew you when it wasn't. So. Yeah, yeah. So Kim jokes about it. My wife jokes about it. it. Took you getting cancer five or six times before you cleaned it up, but <laughs> it's clean and that really helps a lot as well. 
And it, the exercising is super helpful for the emotional and mental side of it, oh, sure. because that's actually, in many cases, harder than the physical part. Mm. And getting some of that stress relief. Mm -hmm. So how has having incurable cancer changed your outlook on life? Yeah, dramatically. Aside from a joke, I can't get life insurance as one piece, but it's changed my perspective in a big way. Look, I would much rather not have had cancer even once, but hey, I've had it. And the way it's changed my perspective is in a positive way. I really live in the moment. I try not to sweat the small stuff. It's really changed how I spend my time, spending it doing what I think is going to be important and with purpose. For example, the book, as hard mm -hmm. as it was to write, that became a purpose. I think it's loosened me up a little bit, but it's also made me really savor the times with friends and family because that's what's so important to me now. That's terrific. And you've always been good with relationships, but I'm going to ask a hard relationship because you do bring this up in the book too about the cost of battling cancer. And how has the experience changed your relationship with money? How do you invest it or spend it? What changed? Yeah, so it's interesting because if you consider the fact that I could die when I was in my earning years, it makes you really button up to protect your family, how you spend it, and you spend it a little bit more carefully. Of course, you have all the legal stuff done. You get all those things done that should be done if you have a, a, an illness that can kill you. Wills, uh, trust, powers of attorney, healthcare directives, all those documents, right? All done, those all done, all done. handled. Good. I even have a just, I have a just in case file, which is the one I hope they never have to open, which is the ah. one, which is the stuff that if something, if I don't make it, that uh, they can open that file and it's got some stuff, how to access my social media what to do with my stuff, what type of funeral, and hopefully they'll never have to look at it, but it's there if they need it. And passwords? I, Are your passwords yeah, in there? Yeah, passwords in there. Okay. Yeah, and the other, the other piece, though, is that as I age, I care less about money. I would rather spend it on experiences and spend it on saving time for, so I can do things that I'd like to do. And, and so... It's interesting because I went from trying to save it for my family to now I want to spend it on spending time with them, which is actually a big change. This is well, my wife and I aren't quite on the same page on this, but I would but be happy also to spend your kid, it. Your kids are grown and independent yeah. now. So that's yeah. changed. Yeah. So now you can think about you and Kim more. Mm -hmm. That's great. So, Bill, what I've heard you share with us is advocating for yourself doing your research, keeping good records like appointments, treatments, surgeries, communicating with your medical team, having your just-in-case list ready so they can access it if they need to, but hopefully not, and taking a buddy with you to doctor's visits or treatments. So with all of this in mind, Bill, I'm going to ask you, how do you keep your well and wealthy? Yeah. So it's through exercise. It's through spending time doing what I want to do. I'm a little bit limited in what I can do now because of my current situation, but I, I pray a lot. I rest well, uh, exercise, all those things really help keep me well, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally as well. Well, thank you.
And we will, again, have some podcast notes, and we will put your site up there, which is BillCPotts.com. And your book will be available on Amazon, right? Up for the fight? Yeah, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, Target.com, wherever books are sold. Okay, terrific. Thank you. Well, Bill, I can't thank you enough for sharing your personal story and for providing this book to others beginning the journey. So I'm going to ask Eric to come in and see what I might have missed that he wants to know about. Barbara, Eric? I don't think you missed anything. Bill, <laughs> this has been fantastic. What I, I love the fact that you're infusing humor. And I mean, I think if you lose humor in this entire process, that's more detrimental than a lot of things. When you were going through the list of things not to do, I couldn't help but chuckle because my my wife is big into essential oils now, thank God. She's never suggested to rub some oils on the cancer for anybody <laughs> as a cure, but um, I'm just going to poke fun at her later tonight uh, because of this podcast, and I thank you so much for that. I thank you for your your openness, willing to share, and the fact that you're helping other people continue the fight that you really started in this. Yeah, thank you, Eric. It's, it is a special purpose for sure, and it's a book that I'm 100% sure will make a difference in the lives of not just the cancer patients, but the family and friends that read it, it'll impact them all in different ways. But this is the book that I actually accidentally became an expert in this topic and the book I wish someone else had written mm. so I could have had it when I started my journey 20 years ago. And you do mention about your family members, they have some information there in the book as well. So it's good for a spouse or children to see that it's not just the cancer patient, it's the family and the friends. Yeah. So thanks yeah, again, sure. Bill. You're terrific. Oh, you are too. Thank you, Barbara and Eric. Appreciate it. Yep. Thank you again, Bill. And of course, Barbara, thank you so much. I, I just enjoy every moment that we're, we spend together with your guest. I learn so much. I get to know new people that are really changing the face of whatever the subject matter is. And I believe firmly that Bill's book is going to do that for these families. So thank you again. And of course, our last thank you always goes to the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to Keeping the Well and Wealthy with Barbara Archer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Barbara comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it and leave a review as this actually does help others find the show. This is a great one to share with anybody that you know is going through something like this, um, whether it's cancer or another disease that, that, is, is tough. Help them by sharing this podcast with them so they can find some resources. Again, thank you for listening today. For everyone at Hightower, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to go out in the world and make a difference. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with Barbara Archer, sponsored by Hightower. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Hightower Wealth Advisors. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Hightower Wealth Advisors is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. 
No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is neither indicative nor a guarantee of future results. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data or other information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other data or information contained in this presentation is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Hightower Wealth Advisors and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Hightower Wealth Advisors and Hightower Advisors LLC assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to this information. The information is provided as of the date referenced in the document. Such data and other information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed herein are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material is not intended or written to provide and should not be relied upon or used as a substitute for tax or legal advice. Information contained herein does not consider an individual's or entity's specific circumstances or applicable governing law, which may vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction and be subject to change. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor for related questions.